0: Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional songmaking at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. This is Song Cycle, where we gab with cool people who bring their innovative ideas and projects to life to contribute to a more vibrant society through song. I'm your host, Sam Martin, founding artistic director of Cincinnati Song Initiative. Let's get into it. Whether it's performers with amazing stories from the stage, entrepreneurs and administrators who work tirelessly to push our industry forward in exciting ways, composers with an eye toward the future of song or anybody else in this big community, I want to hear from them and share their stories with you. Okay, friends of the Song Cycle podcast, I have been so excited to speak with this guest for months now after meeting him in person uh, just last year for the first time. Uh, His organization is a huge inspiration to me personally and to Cincinnati Song Initiative, and so I am extremely excited to welcome him to the pod today. Let's hear a little bit about him first. Sholto Kainach is a sought-after pianist who specializes in song and chamber music. He is the founder and artistic director of the Oxford International Song Festival, which won a prestigious Royal Philharmonic Society Award in 2015, cited for its, quote, breadth, depth, and audacity of programming. In July of 2018, Schulte was elected a Fellow of the Royal Academy of Music in the R.A.M. honors. Recent recitals have taken him to Wigmore Hall, Heidelberger Frühling in Germany, the Zeit International Leap Festival in Holland the Life Victoria Festival in Palau de la Musica in Barcelona, the Opéra de Lille, King's Palace in London, Open House Zurich, Maison Symphonique de Montreal, and many other leading venues and festivals nationally and internationally. He is recorded live at the Oxford International Song Festival, the first complete edition of the songs of Hugo Wolf. Other recent and forthcoming recordings include discs of Schubert and Schumann Lieder, The Complete Songs of John Ireland and Havergal Brian with baritone Mark Stone, recital discs with Martin Hessler and Anna Stefani, and several CDs with the Phoenix Piano Trio. Please go check out the remainder of his impressive and lengthy bio. But for now, welcome to the pod, Sholto Kainak. Thanks, Sam. Lovely Lovely to be here chatting with you. And there's a lot to chat about, uh, some some exciting news for the upcoming festival, but also I'm just uh, really excited and thrilled to get to know you better and for our audiences to get to know uh, your incredible organization that you've built across the pond. So before we get to to learn more about the festival that you've built... Uh can you tell us a little bit about your personal upbringing your musical background and your pianist and and how ultimately did you get led into the world of song give us a little bit of background on you
1: Yeah I mean not wanting to go you know too far on the detail but I didn't come up from a, a musical family particularly um you know I grew up uh, my mom was keen on music but I started having piano lessons when I was 6 or 7 but not in any kind of serious way it wasn't a a big thing for me and I, I mean I always say but only half in jest that it was when I went to a, a very enthusiastic rugby playing school that I realized that if I had music lessons I could miss rugby and, <laughs> and play the piano instead which seemed like a much much better option and I suddenly became fanatical, um, and I think there's, there's actually more truth in that than I might suggest um, <laughs> uh, and so I started playing quite a little bit more, sort of in my in my teens, um, and then I did end up going to university to read music. Um, but even then, you know, I kind of i i didn't really know anything about what being a song pianist meant. Particularly, I was just fortunate that I was surrounded by a few really good singers who were my peers and contemporaries and friends, and they just asked me to play for them for stuff. You know, I would I would do auditions and small informal student concerts, and. Just starting to get to know repertoire and sort of gradually fell more and more in love with it and then when I went to do my postgrad studies as a pianist, I still played a lot of chamber music um and I mean I still do actually play some chamber music, but definitely more and more I'm sort of focused on the song world um and it just sort of gradually took over i think and and it's nice seeing that happen with audiences in the same way that I think song is one of those things, and maybe we'll touch on this a bit later, but it you know it it's a very addictive uh musical genre and it's one that people take a while to get into but when they do they really get hooked and that definitely on the kind of music making side of it that's what happened to me
0: Mm -hmm. i have a very similar experience and i've spoken with other guests about that idea that if you can get someone in the door to a song program you know if if they're brand new and they don't know what the genre is if you can get them in the door uh, most often they're hooked they love it and they're back for more because of the Uh, highly relevant and you know intimate and and drawing in nature of song and you know you I don't need to explain this to you but all that's to say is you know I've I feel that uh myself and I think others feel that as well definitely okay great that's a little bit of background tell us about the roots of uh the festival and how did, you, how did you dream it up? What, what were you trying to do in the early days of the festival? And what were those first few years like? Because it's completely different now.
1: It is. I mean, you're kind to give it such a generous introduction, but I have to say in those early years, it did not resemble the <laughs> festival that you see today. And I mean, the very simple answer to why we started it was because we were all students and, you know, myself and a few friends wanted to do some concerts. Mm-hmm. and I had long wanted to play the three Schubert cycles, mm-hmm. and I, together with some friends, put on a series of seven all-Schubert recitals. This was in mm-hmm. 2002, and we were still living in Oxford. We'd just finished our studies, and we still kind of hanging around, but we had lots of friends, and we had access to venues that you know we could still get the kind of student rates and things for, and we put on this festival, and we decided to call it the Oxford Leader Festival, because that's what it was at the time, completely, uh, as I say, all Schubert's very sort of uh, German romantic focused. Um, and we put that on and then it just gradually sort of grew from there. And actually, though, looking back, one thing that strikes me is I recently found a very early leaflet for the festival, for that very first festival. And actually, there's a mission statement on the back that is remarkably similar to what we say today mm-hmm. about establishing this festival for the city of Oxford and beyond and reinvigorating an interest in this unique art form that's been somewhat marginalized in recent years. A lot of it was actually, I thought everything had changed, but in fact, a lot of it was really quite similar. So some things haven't fundamentally shifted so much mm-hmm. as I as I maybe would have thought, um, but that first year was really, you know, very low key. Then the second year, I had just arrived at the Royal Academy of Music in London. And I did a masterclass with Julius Drake, who I think you've maybe spoken to on this.
0: Indeed. Indeed.
1: And, um, you know, Julius, I now know very well and this is a, a friend and colleague. But at the time, you know, I trepidatiously went up and approached him and dared to say, you know, Mr. Drake, sir. <laughs> you know please might you be so kind as to come and consider performing in my little festival and he said well i've got this baritone i'm working with he's a nice guy i think he might come you know and i think he's he's he'd he'd really do a good job for you and i said well that sounds great you know who is it and it was a guy you might have heard of called Gerald Finley yeah. <laughs> and and that was the first kind of professional concert we had and i remember that concert to this day uh-huh. Um, I've I've actually invited Gerald Finley back every year since and uh-huh. we've never yet found a date for him. Uh but so it's the, still the only time he's ever been to us, but it was an unbelievable concert and, and everybody in the room was blown away. But for me, it was I mean, I had been to great song recitals before, definitely, but that was a sort of turning point. I was like, actually, we're doing something special. And it was also mm-hmm. the point at the end of that festival where um a few people really started saying you're doing something quite special here. You've got to keep it going and and do more. And that's where we, you know, we started to kind of sow the seeds of professionalism at that point, even if it took us a while to really grow.
0: That's great. I mean, I, I hardcore relate and remember feeling very tiny in the early years of CSI and trepidatiously, as you said, asking people that I so looked up to if they would consider coming to perform. And I think like, like your experience with Julius and Gerald, you know, people really are happy to come and do these kinds of performances, song, song performances. Uh, I've spoken with so many artists, especially if they're on the opera circuit where, where these kinds of uh, performances while, no less intense in artistic quality, still come as a salve and a balm and a relief artistically for people doing so much other uh, activity that involves many more people, many more logistics, uh, uh, less artistic control, right? Um, And so, uh, again, I relate very much to that because I I think that a lot of people are really happy to come do these kinds of things. So all that's to say is no surprise that Julius (laughs) and Gerald were happy to come get things started with you. Okay, you said people started giving you feedback. Hey, you you have something uh, on your hands here that is worth exploring. Uh, it's really coming across professionally. Uh, let's let's look into this. What what I mean at the at the risk of getting a little uh, arts administrator wonky here, what did that mean for you, and how did you then start to scale the festival and the organization?
1: Yeah, I mean the sort of major scaling up took quite some time to come about. So in those early years, from kind of 2002 all the way through to 2014, we did definitely grow and we grew quite a bit. You know, we put on far more concerts each year. Um, We realised we got to a point probably in the sort of, you know, 2007, 8, where we realised that actually by putting on more concerts in a day, you really made it into a festival that people would kind of allocate time for. And you you could put more in, and actually see a greater number of people attending everything by doing um, a a busier, more packed and ambitious programme. Interesting. We, I think, I can't remember when we had our first kind of real administrative help. I mean, um, a colleague who still works with me to this day was one of those very early people who approached me and said, I think you're doing something special. And he had been working in in fundraising for lots of different organisations in the music business. And he... Um, he came in and really helped us establish our kind of friends scheme in those early years. And obviously mm-hmm. that's to this day, you know, the, the money and the fundraising is a huge part of it um, mm-hmm. more, more than ever, really. Uh, but that's, that definitely was our sort of first step to professionalizing. And a few years later, we took on a very part-time administrator to help us kind of um, grow. And, and over the years we found just, you know, in practical, as you say, kind of, um, admin terms only we've always found that as long as you make those steps at a sensible time, it's always the right move to expand like that. And, you know, you, you, everything you do professionalizes and therefore pays for itself, um, very quickly, but it's just, just doing it at the right time. But in terms of the kind of the real big step up, um, happened in 2014 with our Schubert project, um, And that was just a very long-held ambition of mine, was to do the complete Schubert songs. And it took three or four years at least to plan. Uh, We were the first festival in an intense period like that, just in three weeks, to do Mm -hmm. every single Schubert song. Mm -hmm. And we created this enormous and very ambitious program that I look back on and think, how the hell did we do it? But I (laughs) also loved doing it. I mean, it was the most rewarding couple of years doing all the detailed prep for it. But we we had this whole concept of bringing Schubert's Vienna to Oxford. So it was more than just a lot of songs packed into a short space of time. It was also plays and sort of events happening in the pub and museum visits and uh, and lots of chamber music, also lots of choral works and study strands, new music. It was this extremely ambitious undertaking. And we tripled our turnover from one year to the next And then actually afterwards, it was such a success. That's what we won our Royal Philharmonic Society Award for. And after that, it was something that we actually, we then sustained at that level and grew from there. Um, so that was the kind of, you know, the, the major turning point. And since then, you know, we, more people have joined the team. We're now, you know, doing a hundred plus events across the course of the year
0: and, um, yeah, growing and growing. You've got great partnerships with the local colleges. Um, from what I experienced last year, you know, concerts don't take place in just one locale.
1: No, we use about Um, 20 spaces around the city overall now. Yeah.
0: Right. And tell people, and this will take us a little bit towards what the festival looks like today. Tell everybody, I mean, what exactly is, um, the annual festival because Cincinnati Song Initiative produces concerts about once every two months, I, you know, single concerts. So tell people what your festival format looks like
1: yeah so it's we do run events across the year we have a little spring festival we have a touring program but our main activity is focused into two weeks in october um and i think i've only referenced schubert as a composer up to this point but as you have seen in our program we're very very much more wide-ranging than that these days um i think last year we had songs in 14 different languages um and we have about eighty events in the two weeks, and that's a combination of very high-profile, sort of song recital, you know, straight song recitals in our sort of evening slots, um, with some very well-known artists coming in um, from across the UK and Europe, uh, and occasionally from the US also. Um, and then during the day, we have a, um, we tend to have kind of we have a very strong theme with each year. So this year will be. Uh, looking at art and song uh, and connections between the visual arts and poetry and music and during the day you can expect to see other concerts but that tend to be very tightly themed and we'll pick up on a particular aspect of that theme each day and really unpick it in a series of talks and um, study events um, we might also do like a, a, a walking tour around the city um, working with partners with the museums and the libraries in Oxford uh, to kind of bring these subjects to life and do anything imaginative that we can to kind of make as much variety as possible over the fortnight and really make it something that people, you can either dip into and just come and hear, you know, really famous artists doing really famous music, or you can really come and, uh, and experience something, I think, uh, if not totally unique, certainly quite special. And it's an amazing place for it as well.
0: It is totally unique, I can confirm that, and it is so immersive if if that's what you want uh I was only there last week for one week out of the two, and I was completely bamboozled uh <laughs> and and enjoyed going to almost everything uh for that one week, let alone you know a full two weeks um like you said, I mean five six, seven, eight events a day um where you can go to one individual concert and be absolutely wowed, or you can zoom out and look at the whole gamut of events and how they relate to one another and how it ties into your larger theme. It's it's absolutely incredible, and there's something for everybody on every scale, no matter what you're up for. So um, it, it really is something to behold. So you have some exciting news. The new festival will occur this coming October. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, this upcoming festival, whatever you're willing and able to share, and also <laughs> the exciting news about the whole organization.
1: I'm not just willing, but excited to share uh, and and eager to share. So, I mean, as you know, this festival has now been running for 22 years nearly. Uh, and we've always been the Oxford Leader Festival because, as I've outlined already, that's where we kind of began. It's where our roots were. But we also have stretched significantly beyond... The sort of very uh, romantic German repertoire that we began with, and so we have finally taken the decision to change our whole brand and become the Oxford International Song Festival. As you um, and in some ways, this feels like it's not a big step at all because actually, you know, we're just the brand is catching up with what we do anyway. So right, right, it's no big deal. We're not fundamentally changing other things, but it also feels like quite a good statement of intent. You know what? Yeah, we, we really want everybody to feel like this festival is open to them and they should come uh, regardless of their spe- specific interest. I mean, anybody who's interested in words or music and this year in art as well, you know, should should be stepping through the doors. Um, uh, so that's what we're unveiling with this the new programme for this year. As I say, it's called Art Song, which is a little... Play on uh, a, a term that I'm not actually very fond of. I think is in some ways art song is worse than leader in terms of making it sound a little bit niche. So it's Agreed. a kind of deliberate play on that, which maybe in itself I appreciate is a little bit <laughs> of a niche in joke. But I hope for most people it's it's got a colon in the middle. So hopefully you know art colon song. Yes, I think yeah. it will. Work. I think it, I think it works. I think it works. And the subtitle is just images, words, music, which really kind of sums up uh, how that will work. Then within that there's there's an immensely wide ranging program. I mean, just you know, our, our first day we have a, a, um, a participatory event where you can come and bring your sketch pad and be sitting in the concert hall either sketching the musicians or um, responding much more freely in a sort of slightly guided way. Um, then we're going over to the Ashmolean Museum to have a talk and look at some medieval Persian art before we hear a new, uh, brand new work by a young Iranian composer that's kind of blending um, Persian and Western classical music traditions. And then we've got Dame Sarah Connolly and Dame Imogen Cooper doing a kind of megastar recital in the evening. And in a way, that kind of sums up um, the the breadth of the festival in that single day. Then you wake up the following morning, and you come to a whole day about fashion and song, which is an area we've never...
0: Gone wow. into the
1: we've got a program developed in uh, homage to Yves Saint Laurent.
0: We've huh. got a
1: program based around the um, new objectivity movement into the 1930s Berlin with a dressmaker from the Berliner Staatsoper creating um, dresses especially for the occasion with the singer. And then we've got a program... Uh, inspired by the scents of the master perfumer Christian Provenzano, where there'll be little scent sticks for everybody to enjoy, particularly sort of curated groups of songs around uh, around particular scents that they'll associate with that. Um, yeah, I could I could go on. There's there's about just just short of eighty events like that across the course of the two weeks
0: all-encompassing senses and all different kinds of art. That is so cool. Do you wake up at 3.30 in the morning with these ideas every year for the theme festival? Or do you gather around a circle table with your uh, advisory uh, friends and staff members? Or how does all this come to be year in and year out?
1: A bit of both. But one thing I think I've realized over the years is it just takes time. It's got to percolate. You know, I, I tend to come up with the ideas for the theme Way in advance. I mean, we're pretty much mapped out now through to 2028, but um, but then it just has to sit for a while. And actually, if you, th- I sometimes think, okay, surely you know, next week I'm going to work out the program, and we'll be two years ahead of schedule. And then I get into it and I think, no, that's not how it works. You know, sometimes you've just got to pick up ideas. You've got to let them just sit in your brain for a bit. You've also got to be receptive to what other people put your way. I don't design every program from scratch. Other people come to me and say, what about this? And I look at it and say, oh, a program about sense. And the other day, somebody else mentioned a program about Yves Saint Laurent. Hang on, why don't we put these together? And we've got the beginnings of a day about fashion, which fits in an art theme and, and then you think, OK, well, if we put these at this time and in this venue and then, you know, the logistics are part of the artistic programming as well. How you how you thread it together so that people can take everything in and, and really feel fully immersed in it. Um, it just it just takes ages. <laughs> uh, you've got to let it sort of brew.
0: Hundred, hundred hundred percent. That makes perfect sense. And I can't imagine, you know, working on m- multiple years of the festival at one time, uh, to your point about, you know, the, the, the ideal world of getting something planned and programmed out two, three seasons in advance. I can't imagine that. I, I mean, I also had the question because there's so many events in a two week span. I, I all but assumed and already knew that you couldn't have your fingers in every set of every program, uh, uh, also i doubted that you would you know want that kind of artistic uh, control especially when you're bringing such incredible uh, independent artists yourself but the but the idea of how to you know as the artistic director at the end of the day being responsible for the overall festival's programming how each program fits together how you organize the two weeks obviously some is is probably built on simple logistics of who's available when but in the best of all worlds, if you're able to play around with pieces like a puzzle and plug in events next to each other that basically formulate one day or one week and and the flow of all that, um, d- does that, does that work easily for you? Is that a major headache? Does it go differently every year?
1: I definitely wouldn't describe it as easy, Yeah, but I think I've got better at it. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm slowly, but surely,
1: um, with blood, sweat, and tears, I've definitely got better at it. Um, well, I, I think it is just a, a big sort of balancing act. And, you know, I definitely couldn't be involved in the real detail of every programme. And, and as you say, I wouldn't want to be. And I think it also, you know, our sort of headline 16 evening concerts with very well known artists coming in. Of course, I'm going to have less say in what they bring. If These mm-hmm. are people who are going to direct where their program is going to go. And I right. will try and say, okay, well, that program will fit this year, but maybe not, you know, or maybe we have to push it to next year and, and we'll make it work better then. Um, there are usually links to be made and there's often some flexibility. Um, so it depends a lot who you're dealing with. And sometimes you'll you'll see a day that's very, very tightly themed. And then one program that actually isn't really in the theme of that day, but I just think it's a really good program with a great person. And that's the date yeah. they're available. We also have to be pragmatic and not dogmatic. And I, I think, you know, I, I want people um, to do the concerts that they want to do as well. The last thing you want to do is everybody to be coming into the festival feeling like they've learned this bespoke program for you, which is some sort of, you know, genius bit of clever um, intellectual programming, but that doesn't actually fit with what they need to learn or doesn't suit them at that time. So it's, it's just endless sort of balancing. Um, and I, but I think we've got quite good at it. I think we now find that there's enough that the theme holds and you really feel like you are immersed in, in, in a particular idea and you're hopefully this year, for example, you're making all sorts of connections between visual arts and song and thinking, oh yeah, I hadn't thought that of course these things all move in parallel and that these things are all interrelated. But on the other hand, you're also not having that kind of push down your throat at every event that you go to. There are also some things you go to that you're like, oh, that was just a glorious concert that I loved I and it's for its own sake and didn't need any other point of reference
0: yeah 100 i totally i totally get it so this all sounds amazing uh tell us about the young artist program that 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 oxford runs and the kinds of opportunities that that provides to the next generation of yeah. songsters well
1: i mean skipping back if i may just briefly to the to the early years of the festival know i jumped from 2002 to 14 in terms of where we really stepped up the one thing we were developing in the background in that period uh was uh you know an education program or a learning and participation program um and i do think in hindsight one of the advantages of the way that we grew as a festival is that we were basically developing a program for young musicians while i was still a young musician and I, i would hesitate to call myself that these days But, you know, in the early days, I was a student for the first four years of the festival. I was actually still a student. Um, And, you know, and then I, I was I was going through those early days of my career while I was also trying to build this festival. So I was very aware of what made good programs for young musicians. I had just stopped doing competitions and residential courses and all these sorts of things. So there were certain kind of values that i really held on to and i th- i hope that they still stand today which is that you know when we do sometimes have to audition people for programs i want it to be a really good experience for them and not one that they kind of feel like they're just on some conveyor belt being pushed out for five minutes you know when people come and audition for us i hope they have a really good experience we give them a, a proper public platform and we you know, we try and film them and, and record it and give them materials afterwards and give them enough time to settle and and, and do their best. Um, and then if they do get onto our Young artist program, we've recently restructured that a little bit, but um, the, the, the program is uh, a sort of 18-month program that they do this audition for. They then get various training opportunities across the 18 months, but in particular, the opportunities to come and live with us for a week during the festival, Uh, and study intensively this year with um, Wolfgang Holzmeier for a week and then a number of guest tutors. They also get in the first festival of their tenure, they get a sort of short showcase performance of sort of 15 minutes at the beginning of one of the kind of celebrity evening recitals. Mm -hmm. And then the following year, they'll come back and give their own full showcase recital So over over the course of 18 months, we also send them off to various other promoters and um, both around the UK and also some internationally. So they get a lot of performance opportunities. They also get training opportunities. And then it all sort of culminates in this big um, sort of full recital at the festival at the end of it. Um, and I, I think it's a really excellent program. And we just at our spring weekend last weekend, we just had those showcase recitals, and they were just amazing. I mean, they did so so well, and the standard is amazing. You know, just just right up there. Um, brilliant young professionals. So we do a lot um, in that in that sphere to kind of support that. And, and we also worth mentioning. You know, we have a fantastic project in local schools working with with much younger people as well. Mm. Not obviously not in a profession, not looking to uh for professional training but for inspiration and for creativity uh so that that side of our work is is really important and has been for a long time
0: that's great um and also part of the festival in addition to the young artists track and the uh, concerts you mentioned this before but uh for anybody interested in learning more about the festival can you delve into a little more about the study events and all those other sort of not ancillary but other events that aren't necessarily concerts that help round out one's experience say someone who's not been to too many song performances before wanted to you know try out the festival all these things to help elevate their experience besides just concerts
1: yeah so i think um we don't have a kind of official affiliation with the university of oxford we're not part of it we're just an independent arts organization but we work very closely um, with with people here We are you know we're based obviously in a city of learning and increasingly we use that to our advantage um, We are also you know song is an interdisciplinary art form so I think it's great that we have this wealth of incredible minds on hand at any time to kind of talk about lots of different aspects of song um, What you don't tend to see so much at the festival I would say is the kind of historic pre-concert talk you know this we, we have some program notes that you can read if you want to know about that right what we try to do is more kind of um well i mentioned already the idea that on our opening day where we have this new um uh piece by the iranian composer called the phoenix um, and we actually will be working with a professor of um, persian studies uh, who'll be talking about hafez and Medieval Persian poetry and the themes that have then run through Persian and Iranian poetry all the way to the present day and then we'll be talking to a curator from the Ashmolean Museum and she'll be talking about uh, Persian Iranian um, art and again the kind of linking themes that have gone through that and then we'll have an expert in the field of Iranian classical music who's also going to sort of see how all these things bind together and I think the idea is that this is something that is not for the people who already know all there is to know about music. Um, it, it's absolutely for people who just have some spark of interest and want to know right. a little bit more, and will find something that that that, that kind of they can uh, sort of latch on onto. Um, and we've also had fun dreaming up all sorts of amazing links in in the song world. And I, you know, I always think a couple of years ago we. Where we did our sort of um, first festival coming out of the pandemic, I was like, "We're in Oxford. There was a major vaccine developed in this city. Mm-hmm. I want to like do something that links song to vaccines. How do we? <laughs> how do we do that?" <laughs> and we had, you know, Sir Andrew Pollard, the head of the, the AstraZeneca vaccine team, came and spoke, and oh we managed to, to talk about how actually in the very early days of vaccine development, and uh, Edward Jenner um we had an event all about how um in those very early days persuading people that these things were safe uh, they would commission poetry to do that and that there was uh, and that he himself loved edward jenner that is loved music and we managed to find ways of of also talking about how composers and poets had responded to sickness and to recovery yeah. and we had an amazing event on the back of that and i thought actually you know if we can if we can meld song and vaccines together we can do anything yes
0: that's exactly true and it's also proof that you that you can tie song to real world current day hot topic you know trends and cultural societal issues yeah Uh, I, i mean we're laughing about it but that was right on the nose and it's it's just proof that you can do that Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. Okay, I'm coming up with more questions on the fly that I didn't send you in advance, but I'm getting so much nostalgia and also anticipation <laughs> of being back in October. Yeah. And so tell everybody again, if if we're trying to convince um, uh, Joe and Franny Smith to give Oxford uh, Festival a a try for this first year. I mean, and I can help you with this as well as an audience member. What what can you expect if you come for a full week and you've got the festival pass and you're planning five, six concerts a day to attend? What happens in between? I mean, I know I met people on like day two and instantly had growing friendships.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely. There's
0: a whole social aspect to this, which is brilliant.
1: There, there, there really is, and I, I, it's the thing that I love about the festival, and I genuinely look forward to it as like the high point of my year. Um, and I very much believe that a festival should be festive. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I am at the at the if I'm not playing, I'm at the door welcoming people myself, and our team are all like that as well. I think you would agree that our team, yes. is a fantastic and unbelievably friendly bunch. We're very lucky. Um, and and a lot of it is about, you know, everybody who walks through the door has to be greeted with a smile and made to feel like they're, they're absolutely part of it. Um, and yeah, people head off to the pub or the cafe and they eat in between times together. Um, you know, bring comfy shoes if you're going to do five or six events a day, Mm because you're going to be moving around a lot, um, Mm -hmm. between times, but there's always, you know, there's so much to take in, in Oxford as well. Um, so I think people. People do definitely make a kind of, you know, destination of it, come for a, come for a week or even, or even the full 16 days. Um, and, and definitely kind of that, that sense of it being a big kind of family uh, um, and, a, and a place to meet people who are really passionate as well, uh, I think is a great asset of the festival and something that I really love about it and definitely feel that that's one of the things we, we do see our, our audience grows year on year, and and more and more people are coming in to visit from overseas and further afield, precisely for that, for that atmosphere mm-hmm. to be in Oxford. It's an amazing city uh, to be able to take in so much in the festival, other things Very as well. But I think that is a Im- really important part
0: of it. Yeah, hundred percent. So if, if you have something to say on this, great. If not, that's okay too. Is there anything specific that you want the festival to tackle and mass in the future? Are are you hoping to move it in a particular direction? Or are you comfortable with where it is now and it's these rotating themes year after year that really says something different? Or is there something more that that you want this to grow towards?
1: It's a very good question. I think at the moment we are, um, well, I've always felt that if I woke up and I felt that next year's festival could be the same as this year's festival, I should stop doing it. Mm. Uh, you know, twenty-two years is a long time to be running a festival, and I don't want to be a stale festival director who just does the same thing from one year to the next. And as things stand, I don't think we're at that point yet. I'm still pretty fired up about you know developing stuff and being bigger and better year on year. Right. Uh, and so we're kind of planning through now to 2028. You know, we've got um, you know, although I'm saying that increasingly we're sort of Internationalizing and broadening our horizons as a festival, we do still have, or I still have, a very personal passion for the songs of Schubert, and mm-hmm. I'm obviously looking at 1828 and 2028 rather, and the bicentenary uh, when we will finish the festival on the exact bicentenary uh, of his death. Amazing. Um, so, so you know, I, I'm thinking about that. I think broadly, no, I'm pretty happy with where we're at. We've got some quite exciting projects in the pipeline for kind of um big multidisciplinary projects. Um ca- but I, I I can't really sort of say very much about exactly what they are now, but uh that will also have a kind of touring element to them as well. So there's there's some kind of increasing our national footprint as an organization. That's something that will expand in the next three to four years. Uh within the festival itself, I'm pretty happy with the shape of it, but there are always things that we could do even even better. And at the moment we're on a really big drive to get more people to come in and that's you know part of that is this rebranding and just saying look it's not you know we started out as the Oxford Leader Festival but you you don't need to know what that word means to to enjoy this this is just this is just song right this is just something that everybody can connect to in that way so there's a there's a big part of it that's about demystifying what song is about and getting getting people in and, and actually, just to, to pick up on one thing that you said earlier about, about this kind of, um, or the, you know, we both touched on, about this kind of addictive quality of song. And I, I nearly jumped in then to say one really interesting thing that happened a couple of years ago. We had a bit of research undertaken at the festival, um, actually for somebody's PhD in sort of audience um, behavior at, at, at song recitals, or audience interaction with song. And we basically basically bribed some people to come to the festival who didn't want to come, who were um, culturally aware non-attenders. So there were people who go to classical music concerts, go to the theater, go to art exhibitions, are culturally interested, but felt like, oh, no, song's not for me. I don't want to hear you know, songs in foreign languages. I don't like singing in the classical style, whatever it is they don't like about it. And we basically bribed them uh, (laughs) to come, but they had to come to at least five events and write up their experiences and do an interview afterwards. And it was very interesting. But the really, the big thing that I took away from it was that, um, uh, well, one person said in particular in their fourth visit, they, well, they said afterwards that it was only in their fourth visit that they had realized that it was acceptable to look at the singer. What? Um, and I suddenly had to sort of do it, take a step backwards and say, of course, when you go to this, there are some weird things about it. Like it's not like going to the opera where all the people on stage are singing to each other and they're probably 30 meters away. They're right. probably in our venues a maximum of 10 meters away from you right. and they're singing it to you. They're right. looking into your eyes. They're making you right. feel like they're looking into your eyes anyway. And like they're pouring out your heart. And actually, you know, I'm now very used to that. You're very used to that. But not everybody's very used to that. And it is a right. quite a strange experience. And I, I um, there were other bits of that same research that made us realize that really someone needs to have come to at least four events before they're going to start to kind of really go oh, i see that's why this is so amazing that's why people huh. talk about that it. it doesn't reveal all its secrets on the first visit of and course. so i guess I, I mention that sort of always because i feel like if anybody is listening to this and thinking you know oh, i might i might give it a try that they shouldn't expect it to unlock everything instantly right. i mean you know what in life does but i think song in particular you know you keep sort of finding out more and more about it, but there's something about the kind of concert experience that I think is so amazing once you get into it, but, but, uh, that as a promoter, I have to be very aware of what it is that, that will get, will engage people um, uh, and, and help them find that.
0: That's so fascinating. And actually, I mean, that's the perfect segue into what makes song unique and stand out from other genres. And I ask, Basically, all of my guests, this question: why, especially if they, uh, you know, engage in other genres as part of their career in their lives—opera, uh, symphony, chamber music, whatever. What, why, why song? And to sort of piggyback off of what you were saying and what your research revealed, I, I would say that that audience members should embrace and and expect, and if they're trying out song for the first time, to understand that it is so much more bi-directional between the audience and the performer. Whereas, like you say, in opera, the performers are singing to each other and they're singing a, a, a set story. Um, but that at a song concert, you can and should expect much more interaction between the performer's an audience, and and hopefully one can come to look forward to that and being part of uh, that experience in a very interactive and active way as an audience member. Maybe it could be a little bit weird, like you said, if, if you're if you're experiencing that for the first time. But um, at the end of the day, I believe that is one of the most special and um, engaging and unique things about song. I mean, do you, uh, if you have anything to add to that, why song, um, and and how it's unique? Please, please jump in there.
1: Well, I mean, I I, I just think you you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think you know if you ask singers what the difference between opera and song is, they'll often refer to the difference between telling lots of short stories in lots of different characters in one evening, mm-hmm. than than one big narrative arc that you would find in an opera and playing one role, and that is. Important and that's a major difference for them. But I, I would absolutely say that for the audience, it's. Um, I mean, th- th- maybe there's something to be said for the kind of the um, the nature of the text that you're encountering. You know, if you come at this as someone interested in poetry, uh, you will not always, but often you will encounter great poetry as well as great music in a way that you don't necessarily have at the opera. Um, but yeah, I for me, just the, 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 the thing of that direct communication that is so close. And I, I've been once or twice to song recitals in really huge halls, you know, mm-hmm. major two, 3,000 seat venues. It just doesn't work. It's just not what it's about. You've got to be close. And we, you know, we never have... Um, a venue that's—I mean—at a push, four to five hundred people. But generally, with you know, we're in tiny halls. You know, our central venue, the Hollywood Music Room, is the oldest concert hall in Europe, and you know, it just seats a couple of hundred people. There's no bad seat in the house. Right. Everyone's up close, and there's that just that feeling that the singer is right there for your personal benefit. You know, they're really right. communicating directly at you, and I—that I, is just—it is—it is unique. I mean, there's no other. You know, imagine a string quartet all standing up and staring at you while they played it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that, that, so that, you know, uh, I, I think it, it's just, it is an, it's an amazing, amazing thing. The other thing, I mean, I, for me, I never f- try not to forget that the thing I also just really love is the sound of it. I just yeah. love the combination of voice and piano and the sounds of words, regardless of what they mean, as they trip off a good singer's tongue and a, and a good voice and the blend with piano is just, yeah, it's just an extraordinary thing as well. Um, and, and of course the music is, mm-hmm. is just so, it's so personal. So often composers are not trying to make grand statements with songs. They're also, they're yeah. expressing their their own innermost, most personal aspect of, of their artistic output I think can often be found in songs because they didn't expect I mean you know maybe today it's different but stepping just a little bit back in time composers expected their songs would be for intimate gatherings often just written for friends not intended for big concert halls much more as a kind of personal statement for people who are close to them and I I just think that is reflected in so much of the music
0: that that's a great point and it makes me realize and think to connect these dots that there's so many composers on the record that have quotes that that talk about how to them their greatest achievements in their mind are, come from their songs um as opposed to their operas or their symphonies or their chamber music their songs and and w- what is it? I mean, it has to be the amount of personal expression that they've been able to get out through those songs yeah. and, the, and the poems that they've set and the stories that they tell and or the very personal feelings that they're able to express. And I've never really connected or thought too much about that really up until this moment in time. Um, but that there's so many composers that regard song as one of their greatest tools and some yep. of their greatest output. Yeah. Out of anything that they wrote, wrote
1: it is the mystery in a way, and I mean, we maybe yeah. you know, let's let's schedule another conversation. Why is song not the most popular of yeah. all art forms? Exactly, like you can approach it from either side, from the words or from the music, but also what you've just been saying, you know, the 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 the, the level of inspiration that goes into it, is that the quality of the music, is just extraordinary so there are all sorts of reasons you know to do it with, with language and and performance and reception and and there are loads of things we could talk about but it, it sort of should be the most popular of, of yeah. all art forms in a way um you would think but maybe and,
0: and, maybe just by nature of of how it how they were all constructed and how they were all meant to be performed in intimate gatherings maybe yeah. there's just no maybe there's just no beating that and you know i've had this conversation with plenty of other people mostly who run other organizations when we're talking i mean when you're melding that with the real world and you're talking about audience sizes and maybe it's just mm-hmm. a, a square trying to fit a square peg into a round hole maybe there's yeah. a, a a natural cap on what a song audience should be before mm-hmm. it loses its ability to to portray everything it needs I, to portray
1: i definitely think that i would much prefer to if you know if we could sell a uh you Know a couple of thousand seats to a song recital, I'd much prefer to just have it done three or four times with a much smaller audience. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it just doesn't work in, in big, in, in really big spaces where you lose that personal right connection,
0: right? Right, well, I think that's a great place to call it. Uh, you've given us such a wonderful introduction to yourself, to the festival, you've shared some great, exciting news for the future of it, and um, tell us, Sholto how people can find out more about the festival, especially this upcoming festival in, in this October.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the information um, by the time anybody is listening to this, the information will just be out on our brand new website, oxfordsong.org. Yes. And um, and all the information on events should be there. Um, hopefully it's uh, a brilliant news easy to use navigation system and everyone will easily find the information that they want um and I yeah I really hope that your listeners in the US will be tempted to come and join us and uh, you know it, it it really is a special thing to come to I'm, I'm always there at the front so come and say hello.
0: Yes, can confirm. And uh, anybody that wants to go over from the U.S., uh, I'd be happy to share a plane seat uh, next to you. And if you're lucky enough, if Sholto's not running from one concert to the other or uh, greeting artists or taking generally care of everything, uh, you might be lucky enough to uh, have a beer with him in between performances <laughs> like I was last last year for, for just a brief hour where we got to meet. So It it's doesn't, it doesn't
1: a- take a lot to twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you for spending the time, Sholto, and I can't wait for this year's festival. I hope uh, our U.S. audience uh, has learned so much more about it, and uh, we'll hop the pond to come to come visit you all.
1: Thanks, Sam. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks.
0: Thank you again to Sholto Kainak for telling me a little bit more about himself and the Oxford International Song Festival, one of the world's premier presenting organizations of songs. My biggest takeaway from our conversation was how much care and love Sholto and his staff put into engaging with and learning from their audiences to continually improve the festival's offerings to suit a contemporary audience. It's this kind of flexibility that makes for a socially relevant classical music organization that meets the needs of today's society. And it was inspiring to learn about everything Oxford Song does to accomplish that. What was your favorite part about this episode? Let me know when you rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help the show reach other song lovers, and isn't that what it's all about? Catch new episodes of Song Cycle every fourth Thursday of the month, wherever you podcast. Song Cycle is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about its network of podcasts at CincinnatiSongInitiative.org podcasts. That's all for now, Songsters. We'll see you next time.